Let's take out the Bible this morning and turn to the Old Testament. The prophecy of Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah 52, awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion, put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for henceforth there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake thyself from the dust, arise and sit down, O Jerusalem, loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus saith the Lord, ye have sold yourselves for naught, and ye shall be redeemed without money. For thus saith the Lord God, my people went down aforetime into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now therefore, what have I here, saith the Lord, that my people is taken away for naught, They that rule over them make them to howl, saith the Lord, and my name continually, every day, is blasphemed. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore they shall know in that day that I am he that does speak. Behold, it is I. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice, with the voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem, For the Lord hath comforted His people, He hath redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord hath made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart ye, depart ye, go ye out from thence, touch no unclean thing. Go ye out of the midst of her, be ye clean, that bear the vessels of the Lord. For ye shall not go out with haste, nor by flight. For the Lord God will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your re-reward. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled, and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see. And that which they had not heard shall they consider. This is the sacred scripture, divinely inspired and infallible. The text for the sermon is verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the passage of Scripture before us this morning gives to us the right biblical attitude and perspective toward preaching and preachers. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach. We need preachers. The church of Jesus Christ, the world over, needs preachers and the Protestant Reformed churches need more, many more 
preachers. I do not have to go through all of the statistics and the facts. It is very clear to all of you that we need many, many more preachers. But how will any of the young men of this congregation or any of our churches take seriously the call and pray about the call to the ministry? And how will any of you in your personal devotions beseech God for more ministers? And how will we as heads of homes lead our family in worship and pray together frequently and fervently that God give us more ministers? How will we do that if we do not have the right biblical attitude toward the right biblical perspective of preaching and preachers. Well, this passage before us this morning sets the tone. It shapes properly our understanding and teaches us to exclaim, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach. When these words were first spoken by the prophet Isaiah, they were given to the people of Judah in the promised land. But God gave to the prophet the prophetic perspective so that Isaiah was able to look beyond the present history and all the way into the future and see the people of Judah in captivity in Babylon. And now he writes from that perspective. And Isaiah chapter 52 is the great word of deliverance which begins, Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments. Today is the day of your salvation. Back to the promised land you will go. That's the context. That's the chapter. The verse we consider this morning, verse 7, gives to us the expression of the great joy the celebration, the praise, the gratitude of the people of God whenever they receive from God one of His messengers to bring them a word of salvation so that they exclaim, how beautiful are the feet of Him, this one who comes to us with a word of peace from God. And not simply a word of deliverance from the physical, historical oppressor of Babylon, but always, ultimately, the word of deliverance from the power of sin and death and destruction. And so the prophet Isaiah has learned to say, and the people of Judah have learned to say, and the church of God throughout all the ages learns to exclaim regarding preachers, regarding the preaching, how beautiful to us are the feet of them that preach. Let's consider that word this morning out of Isaiah 52, verse 7, taking as our theme, how beautiful the preacher's feet. First of all, the meaning of this. Second, the reason for this. And third, the exclaiming of this. The main teaching of the text, the basic, core, fundamental truth of this passage of Scripture is that the coming of God's messenger to Zion is beautiful. The coming of God's messenger. The text is speaking of a messenger. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him. Who is this Him? Well, the participial phrases that follow explain who Him is. The feet of Him that bringeth good tidings. Messenger that publishes or makes known peace, messenger, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, that saith unto Zion, a messenger with something to say, thy God reigneth. Obviously a messenger who comes from God because God's the only one who has a word of salvation. A messenger from God Unto Zion. And Zion, of course, in the old dispensation, historically is Mount Zion, on which is the capital city of Jerusalem and the temple of the Lord. That's where the people go to worship Zion. But Zion of old is a picture, a type, of the grand reality of the church of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. A messenger from God to His church. And now, 
about that messenger, the text says, his feet are beautiful. The meaning, of course, is not literal. That if you would actually look at the man's physical feet, they're very, very attractive, very beautiful feet. That's not the idea. Now, there are many qualifications for the gospel ministry and for being a messenger of the Lord. Many qualifications. Having physically beautiful looking feet is not one of them. In fact, there may be many ministers who have feet that are not beautiful at all, and that's all right. The main thing is the message. Now, he ought to have some feet so he can move from mountain to mountain to Zion, but the main thing isn't what his feet look like. It's the message. And so, beautiful feet is to be understood figuratively, and it refers to the messenger's coming. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him. Understand it this way. How beautiful is the coming of Him. The text doesn't say how beautiful to our eyes are the feet of Him. But the text says how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him. So here's Mount Zion surrounded by all these other mountains and slopes. And here comes this messenger on one slope. And along another slope, on his way to Zion, and the means by which he comes, the means by which he's transported, are his feet. So that to say how beautiful are the feet of him, is to say how beautiful is the coming of him. As he comes to Zion with a message from the Lord. His coming. To use an illustration, the coming of a flower in the springtime is very beautiful. Now, I'm not quite sure what kind of flower is very common around here that comes in the spring. Where I live, I could think of a tulip. So after the long, cold, harsh winter, pretty soon the air begins to warm. And then this little green shoot pops out of the earth and it starts growing upward. And pretty soon these beautiful hues in all the little petals of the flower, the purple and the red and the yellow and the orange and the pink. It's beautiful. But the idea is not that a tulip is beautiful. It is. But it's coming. It's coming. Which signals the end of the death of winter and now the beginning of the renewal of all things. The coming of the tulip is beautiful. And here, it's not so much the messenger, but it's His coming. Referred to figuratively in the text by His feet. The coming of the messenger to Zion is beautiful to Zion. Now included in what makes that coming so beautiful is the swiftness of it. Messengers do not walk. Messengers do not jog. Messengers... Run. You remember the history, the story of David and his men versus Absalom and his men. And David one day is sitting in the gate and up on the roof, there's a watchman and he's looking out and he sees two men running. And he says, Methinketh the running of the foremost is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He is a good man, and he cometh with good tidings. Well, in fact, the message would make King David sob. But the point is, there was a messenger who was coming with tidings, and he ran. That's what messengers do. And how beautiful is the coming of God's messenger who comes with urgency and swiftness to bring a word to Zion. How beautiful. That's the main word of the text. How beautiful. Like the coming of the sun on the eastern horizon. Now that is beautiful. Like the coming of the, of the flower in the springtime. Like the coming of the bride in her dress down the aisle during the wedding. Now that coming is beautiful. And so Zion says about the coming of God's messenger, 
How beautiful to us are the feet of Him. That main teaching of the text has an immediate, it has an ultimate, and it has a broad application. First of all, immediately it applies to the messenger of Zion in the days of Isaiah. So we go back into the old dispensation. God had a message of peace, a word of salvation for His people. And whether God would give that message to the people through Moses, speaking directly to Moses on the mountain, or whether God would give that message through the angel of Jehovah, or through the patriarchs to whom he spoke, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, or whether God would give that message through the pictures of the ceremonies of the law, like Passover, that was a message for the people, or, and especially, when God would give a message to the people through the prophets, like Isaiah, when the messenger came with the message, the people of God would respond, how beautiful to us, is the coming of this servant of the Lord with a message. That's the immediate application, but the ultimate application of the text is to Christ. There's a reason that the text does not use the plural pronoun them, as we might expect. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them that bring, and there are many of them. But the text uses the singular him. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him. One man singular. And in the ultimate sense of the word, that him is the one identified in verse 13 as the servant of the Lord. And the one identified in the next chapter, well known to all of us as He. Throughout the chapter, He. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows. He hath borne our griefs. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and all the way through the end of the chapter. It's Christ. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beautiful to poor sinners is the coming of Christ. Isn't that the truth? He came. He came out of the eternal counsel of God where He was appointed the head and the mediator of the elect. He came in the whole of the old dispensation so that when God spoke to Moses or through the angel of Jehovah, or through the patriarchs, or through the pictures, the ceremonies of the law, or through the prophets like Isaiah who were types of the Messiah. When God gave a message through His servants of old, Christ was coming in the old dispensation. And then one day He came, literally He came, but not just another man who was moving swiftly across the slopes on the way to Zion, but He came out of the very bosom of the Father in heaven. He came as the eternal Son, conceived in the womb of a virgin by the Holy Spirit, and then He was born out of Mary as Emmanuel, God with us. And not only the messenger of the covenant, Malachi would prophesy of him, but the very message of Jehovah God. So that to have this Christ, to see Him, to know Him, is to have the full word of salvation from God. He came. And then one day in His public ministry, very literally, He came with feet. And He moved through the Holy Land. He'd go right up Mount Zion into the temple and teach. He'd walk right through Samaria with his feet on the dusty paths. He'd go up into Galilee, go up the slopes and teach the thronging multitudes. He moved with his feet through Palestine and always moved swiftly. Because his eye was set on the holy city where he would go bearing all of the guilt of Zion and make an atonement for His people once and for all, and die for them. So swiftly He moved to Jerusalem. And there He was nailed to that cross, crucified. He died. 
He was buried in the earth. And only three days later, swiftly, he came up out of the grave. And then he started appearing to his disciples and to many, but only 40 days, because swiftly the cloud would come and take him all the way up into the highest heavens. And swiftly, after only 10 days, he would come right back down to his church in the Pentecost spirit. Present at God's right hand in the body, the man Jesus Christ, and now He promises us in the book of Revelation, not this, Behold, I come. He's a messenger. He doesn't come. But He says in the book of Revelation multiple times, Behold, I come quickly. He's coming quickly to take Zion And lift His church up out of this world into the eternal heights of heaven to be with God forever. Christ. Now you imagine your life right now if there were no Christ. He never came. We're still back in the old dispensation. Or, He never will come And you think about all your sins and the sorrows and the death and the temptations of this life and try to imagine living your life today and tomorrow. There is no Christ and no knowledge of Christ. It's unfathomable. It's unimaginable. We couldn't imagine it being without the Lord Jesus Christ. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to Zion. That's the ultimate application. And now, finally, there is a broad application of the main truth of the text. And it applies to all of the Gospel preachers of God today. In fact, so much is that the case, though you don't find the word preacher in the text, We do use that in the theme of our sermon, and that's because of the teaching of Romans 10, verses 14 and 15, which demands that we understand this text as referring to gospel preachers. Romans 10, 14 and 15, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written. That is in Isaiah 52 verse 7. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So Jesus Christ is the great preacher at God's right hand and by His Spirit and through the church. He sends out preachers to His Zion. Gospel preachers. And Christ comes through them. Now we said at the outset that the feet in the text refers figuratively to the coming of the messenger. And that's confirmed in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, the apostle is not quoting Isaiah 52 verse 7 because Isaiah 52 verse 7 teaches that the church is full of excitement and exclaims, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach. That's what the text is teaching. Zion is full of excitement. But that's not why the Apostle Paul appeals back to Isaiah 52. The Apostle says, how shall they preach except they be sent? Now he's going to prove that. Preachers must be sent. And how does he prove it? He says, as it is written, that is back in Isaiah 52 verse 7, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach. But if you read Isaiah 52, it doesn't appear to say anything about sending. So why is the apostle appealing to Isaiah when he doesn't seem to be saying anything about sending? Well, he is speaking of sending. If you understand feet to refer figuratively to the messenger's coming, 
And if the messenger is coming to Zion, messengers don't just come of their own will. Someone sent this messenger. God sent him so that he comes to Zion. And now God in heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit, he sends gospel preachers today to the church so that they come to Zion. And she says, how beautiful. Gospel preachers, they're not beautiful in themselves. They're lowly sinners like everyone else, but God's sending of them and Christ's coming through them is beautiful to Zion. So that we say, how beautiful. So that when a young man comes to seminary, and to do that on his way there, he says, I'm now going to start taking classes in college with a view to seminary. I believe God is calling me to the ministry. So he starts aiming at seminary, coming to seminary. When a young man says that, the whole church says, how beautiful is that coming to us? That coming. And when a young man goes all the way through seminary, and he's examined by synod, and he's declared a candidate for the gospel ministry, now the churches have another name, the vacant churches, to start putting on trios. The whole denomination says about that young man who came through seminary to the churches, how beautiful to us is this coming. And when there's a vacant church that's been calling and calling and calling and decline after the decline, And when there's a group of believers, new believers huddled somewhere in some distant land, they call out, come over and help us. And they wait and they wait and there's no missionary. And then, one day, God takes a man and He sends him to that vacant church. And He sends that man to that foreign field where they're calling for help. Then they all say together, there's... Nothing in the world to us right now that is so beautiful as this. Christ is coming to us through this man and the word he brings. How beautiful. And every Sunday, when the minister takes his Bible and his sermon, and with urgency and swiftness, he comes to the pulpit And he opens up the word of the gospel of the scriptures as a dying man with a word of hope for dying sinners in Zion. And the people of God in Zion say together, how beautiful to us is the coming of this messenger from the Lord. How beautiful. Why is his coming so beautiful? Because of the message. That's the reason. His message, Zion needs, Zion wants. A message of good tidings, of peace and salvation. Zion was facing a 70 year captivity for her sins. Zion is in captivity for her sins. Zion is always God's church in the world oppressed by powerful enemies, groaning under the burden of sin, fearing the power of Satan, and ultimately the wrath of God. And Zion can never find any good news. There is no word of peace. There is no word of salvation anywhere in the whole world. But then when there's a man in Zion, he's looking out over the wall, and he sees something moving on that distant slope swiftly and getting closer. It begins to appear to him. It's a messenger from God. He turns back to the rest, all of the people in Zion. Come and behold. They come running to the wall and hoisting up the little children to see over the wall. Look! And getting closer and closer, coming to them slope to slope, all the way to Zion. It's a man from God. And we wait to hear what God will say to His people And now this is what makes His coming so beautiful. 
according to the text. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him that, number one, bringeth good tidings. Number two, that publishes peace. And now some repetition for emphasis that bringeth good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Those three words, Thy God reigneth. Good tidings in three words. Peace in three words. Salvation in three words. Thy God reigneth. Not two words. God reigneth. It's true. God reigneth. Omnipotent God of all power who will by no means acquit the guilty and who has the power to destroy the sinner everlastingly in hell both in body and in soul. God reigneth. That's not the good news. That's not the word of peace. That's not salvation. God reigneth. Three words. Thy God reigneth. Thy God. O Zion, thy God, who has set his love upon you from all eternity, thy God, who has given to you his own dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, thy God, who has incorporated you and your children into his everlasting covenant of grace and said, I am your God and you are my people, thy God reigneth. Thy God reigneth. He does. No one made Him king. No one crowned Him king. He didn't receive a majority of votes to become king. Whether anyone will say it or not, believe it or not, God is king. Our God is king. King in the highest heavens, who rules over the heavens and the earth beneath and all the kingdoms and nations of men. He rules over all, even Satan himself, in His power. And because He's our God for Jesus' sake, He rules over all things in His power for us. And He rules over us in His grace. In all of the sweetness of His grace. So that He's the sovereign God of Zion's salvation. The beginning of her salvation in eternity past. The accomplishment of her salvation in the death and resurrection of Jesus. The application of that salvation by the Spirit to those of His who are in Zion so that they actually believe and they repent and they obey God. The full perfection of that salvation in the new heavens and the new earth. The whole of salvation from beginning to end is the salvation of our God. Thy God reigneth in the world and in the salvation of his Zion. Thy God reigneth. Now that's the message that Zion needs to hear and wants to hear. The good tidings. When Zion is being shackled in those heavy chains and being marched like brute beasts down those dusty paths hundreds of miles all the way to Babylon. And when the people of Zion are sitting there by the streams of Babel, their rude captors taunting them, sing us, sing us another one of those songs of Zion. They hang their harps up on the willows and they say, we can't sing now. We have no song to sing. And they grieve in sorrow over their sins by Babel's streams under the oppression of Nebuchadnezzar. Then the whole experience of Zion in Babylon says, Nebuchadnezzar, And his God, Bel, reigneth. And Zion is God's little church in the world. Bullied and oppressed by lawless movements and all kinds of iniquity and power threatened and persecuted. Zion, the little church in the world, her experience in the world often says to her, wicked man reigneth. 
And when there's a man in Zion who feels the guilt of his own sin, and it's so, so heavy a burden, and he's tormented by the devil, and he has this besetting sin, whatever that particular sin may be, and it seems to have a stranglehold upon his soul. And like a dog returning to his vomit, he doesn't want to. Deep, deep down, he doesn't want to go back to that sin, but he keeps going back to that sin. And he goes back to that sin, and that sin appears to have a death grip on his soul. And his whole experience says to him, Sin reigneth within you. And to the depths of the pit of perdition you will go. Zion always needs, Zion always wants, weary, persecuted, hurting Zion, feeling guilty and ashamed, needs a word of salvation from God. And that's why Zion rejoices when she gathers for worship. And she sees a messenger from God coming with good tidings with a word of peace to be published and a word of salvation so desperately needed, she rejoices to hear this word, not Nebuchadnezzar, not any wicked man, and not the sin that is within you, but thy God, thy God in Jesus Christ reigneth, O Zion, and reigneth, within you. Now it's only when the messenger declares, Thy God reigneth, that He brings good tidings. If the message is anything other than a word of the absolute sovereignty of our God and King and the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation, it is not good tidings. You imagine being Zion in Babylon and here comes a messenger to tell you that by the strength and power of your own arm you must set yourself free from Nebuchadnezzar and go back. Can you imagine being told today that by the works which you do you must appease the wrath of God and you must satisfy His justice and make an atonement for your sins and reconcile yourself unto God if such a messenger would come then Zion would say as swiftly as you came you turn around and go back because no news is better than the bad news that we must save ourselves it's only when the messenger declares Thy God in Jesus Christ reigneth over you in your salvation that Zion rejoices to receive this coming. And it's only when the preacher declares Thy God reigneth that He publishes peace and publishes salvation. Peace is the absence of warfare. Zion because Thy God reigns All thy suffering in Babylon is over. Now go back. Go back to the Holy Land. Zion, because thy God reigneth, He's taken away your warfare. Your warfare against Him. In all your sin against Him. He sent His Son as a substitute. The man of sorrows who is bruised and smitten. He made an atonement. He covered all your sins in God's sight. Your warfare with God, it is over. That's the publishing of peace. But peace is not only the absence and removal of warfare. Peace is more because thy God reigns in Jesus Christ. He doesn't only take away the warfare, but He brings you into all of the life of His covenant. His everlasting covenant of grace. In that covenant, He imputes to you the perfect righteousness of His Son that you stand before God in glorious garments, righteous before Him. And God takes His Spirit and He breathes that Spirit into you, into the depths of your heart. That He causes you to love what God loves, to hate what God hates, to seek what God seeks, even the glory of His own name. And as you live by faith in God, and you walk in that way, you know the blessing and the peace of God 
who reigns over you in your salvation for Jesus' sake. Peace, salvation with God. Thy God reigneth. That's the good tidings. That's the peace and salvation that is published. And that's why when Zion sees the messenger coming, Zion exclaims, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him. That the preacher's feet are beautiful is one thing. It's a work of grace. But there's another work of grace, and that's God's work in Zion to cause Zion to recognize it and to exclaim it. The text is an exclamation. The text is not a declarative sentence, a statement of fact. The feet of them that bring good tidings are beautiful, period. No. The text is exclamatory, as if Zion really doesn't even know what to say. She's so moved with excitement. It begins with the exclamatory, how? And it concludes with the exclamatory, mark. The exclamation mark. How beautiful. That Zion's antithetical exclamation over against Babylon, the wicked world and the false church, and everything Babylon says about preaching and preachers, Zion says, no, Zion exclaims, how beautiful. Zion did. And let Zion today, let it be heard in Zion, not with any kind of forced and manufactured enthusiasm, but with deep and genuine religious feeling, let it be exclaimed here as Zion. How Beautiful are the preacher's feet. Zion is in urgent need of gospel preachers today. What if Zion never makes the exclamation of the text? Never even whispers it. What if all that the boys and the girls too, they ever hear in Zion is the farmer How beautiful are his feet, the milkman, the merchant, the carpenter, the doctor, the blacksmith. How beautiful are his feet. The milkman came to town. The doctor came to town. How beautiful. But no one ever hears anyone say, much less exclaim, here comes the preacher with the sacred Scriptures into the pulpit. How beautiful. Beautiful are His feet. What if Zion speaks against the text? What if the boys and girls go home from church and there's never any kind of word, any kind of discussion about the word of the Gospel that was heard and that with a view to edification? But there's either silence or worse, all the boys and girls here is nitpicking and fault-finding and criticism and sometimes even bashing. That's all they hear. That's all they hear. What if the man of Zion sets himself up in the church as a kind of chief of police? A head elder over all the elders of all the consistories of all the churches And he listens to sermons all day long and it's all he does. One sermon after another throughout all the churches, all the ministers, and he's policing them. He's looking for infractions. He might find them and notify his friends. Look what I found. That's all he does. And boys and girls grow up in that home. And what what one is ever going to say, how beautiful are the preacher's feet. What one is ever going to, as a young man, aspire to the gospel ministry? But in that kind of home and environment, to say nothing about the man's own heart and how wrong his heart is, in that kind of environment, the boys grow up and the girls grow up and imagine that they are the chief of police. They are the head elder 
over all of the elders of all of the churches, and they must police all the sermons. But no one ever says, how beautiful. Or what if all the boys ever hear about preaching and preachers is a word of discouragement? You don't really want to be a minister, do you, son? You know how hard that will be, how challenging? You want to be a minister today? Are you sure? And then what's coming in the future, according to the prophecy of our Lord? Great tribulation, and what, that, what will that mean for you? What if you have to move out of state, out of country? What if you end up on a foreign field long away and how will we ever see our grandchildren? Are you sure? Are you sure you want to be a minister? And all they hear is a word of discouragement. Then who will pray for ministers? And who will aspire to the ministry? We need the perspective of of the text. What if the minister himself testifies against the text? So that his coming is ugly. And he's nothing but a proud antagonist who likes to fight. He's nothing but an ambitious glory seeker who loves the pulpit, but only for the advancement of his own name. What if he's a carnal wolf who goes about in his own congregation in sheep's clothing to prey on the vulnerable? What if he's a lazy bum and he doesn't work and the congregation is starving because he doesn't work? He doesn't bring them anything for nourishment. What if he doesn't preach the word of the text? Thy God reigneth. But he wants to put someone else on the throne. And his coming is not beautiful. And Zion, Zion really struggles to exclaim how beautiful the preacher's feet. Let it be exclaimed in Zion. Not because we make preachers. We don't. We cannot. Not even one. God makes preachers and sends them to the church. And God has given us preachers more than we deserve because we don't deserve any. And God has given you a preacher. We don't make them. God does. And because God is a God of means who may very well be pleased to use this exclamation in Zion to stir up hearts of young men for a desire to the ministry, let it be exclaimed, how beautiful. Now you can put that in your own words, but let the elders exclaim it so that the members of this congregation hear it and hear it often. And let the older members of the church exclaim it so that this is what the new generation hears from the older ones. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach. Let the teacher in the school exclaim it. Let the parents in the home exclaim it so that the children hear it. How beautiful the preacher's feet. Do you hear that, Zion? That is the Word of God this morning. How beautiful. Young men, listen. And you boys, even you little boys, listen. All of you listen. Now, you may hear different people say different things about preaching and preachers. And not all of it may necessarily be so encouraging to your heart. 
But I want all of you young men and all of you boys this morning to hear what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says how beautiful are the preacher's feet. You think about that. You think about that. And you pray about that. And we will pray with you and for you. And if any of you young ladies know one of the young men who's showing evidences of having some of the gifts for the ministry, couldn't you, couldn't you very briefly say something that I see these things in you and this is what the Word of God says and this is all I'm going to say to you. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach. Think about that. Do you hear it? Let's exclaim it. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, who gives, who gives many, many benefits, give to us for the sake of Christ, give to our churches. Give to us out of our homes and families more, many more young men for the ministry of the Holy Gospel to the praise of Thy glorious grace to the end of the world. Amen.